Damn, man, why don't you pump the shit up? I bet. It'll be stupid and be a skeptic. Unconceivable, unbelievable. <laughs> Unidentified flying objects. I want to Welcome to the I Want to Believe podcast. I'm Nomar Slavic. Well, holy shit, 2020, am I right? I know it's currently 2021. I say this because this podcast format is to write, record, and edit the entire season at the tail end of one year and then release all episodes at the start of the new year. I'm recording this particular episode on a late August night in 2020, and for me, Our future as Americans couldn't be more unknown, but also, and really ultimately, the future is up to us, which may just be as equally terrifying as it is hopeful. Oh, another thing before we dive in is that my co-host Kyle Sawyer is unavailable this season due to COVID. Now, don't worry, he's fine, safe, and healthy, but lives upstate from me, and they have piss-poor internet service, and getting together in close proximity to record is undesirable, so as a result, we are unable to record together. Now, with that said, he and I do keep in touch as much as we can, and he has agreed to a special phone appearance at some point during this season. So you will hear from him on one of these upcoming episodes. But really, it wouldn't be a season premiere without my good buddy, so please enjoy this montage of outtakes and bloopers from Kyle. I don't Hold that properly. I'm holding it. I'm sorry I took two seconds to take a fucking sip of water and mute my phone. <laughs> I guarantee that's a Ninja Turtles reference. I guarantee. It is so stupid. What is happening? This is why people do solo podcasts. So we don't have to deal with your shit. What would you have? What the fuck is that? That's Lake Worth Monster, homie. That is? No. I don't know what is happening. First off. <laughs> Pretty cool, huh? I have no idea what it's in context to, but I just pull up this episode and I and I see so fuck off. <laughs> Please don't accuse this. Man. I won't. <laughs> I feel bad about not knowing how many people are in my home. Should we look it up and you've called me out on this? What do we end with again? Well, as you can see, we have a pretty good time with this stuff. He'll be missed for sure. All right. As usual, a quick reminder that all of our I Want to Believe social media and email are in the show notes. My brand new book, Granite Skies, is now available for purchase. You can get it at the Greenhand Bookshop in Portland, Maine. You can get it on Amazon, 
Kindle, and a personalized signed copy can be obtained from my online store. Everything can be found at allmylinks.com slash Slevic, or see the links in the show notes. All right, let's get into some UFOs and true alienation. Alienate is a verb. Now, before we look at the meaning of the word alienate, we will look at a few examples. His crazy ideas alienated him from his friends. A pessimist finds it difficult to alienate negative thoughts from his mind. Let us look at its origin. The word alienate is derived from its root form alien, which means a foreigner or external. Thus, the meaning of the word alienate is to make someone feel isolated. The word alienate also has a noun form. The word is alienation. Let us look at an example. My transfer to Mumbai gave me a sense of alienation from my family. Now that we are familiar with the meaning of the word alien and alienate, let us look at the synonyms. The synonyms of the word alienate are distance, external or remote. Olga Segura is a writer for the Guardian website and she wrote a piece about her father and his lifelong fascination with all things extraterrestrial. It started with an encounter of his own. She wrote, On an empty road in Crystal Ray, a lower middle class industrial neighborhood in Santo Domingo, a ball of light the size of a car tire appeared about 80 to 100 feet above my father. It pulsated, moved steadily, horizontally, away from him, then vanished. Her father told her, I was paralyzed for like 30 seconds. I didn't understand what it was. I was so scared. I didn't tell anyone because no one would have believed me. Her father believed that encounter changed his life forever. Olga then writes, My dad, a black teen growing up in the poor Dominican Republic, trying to learn everything he could about extraterrestrial life proved nearly impossible. There was no extra money to buy books and no reliable transportation to the Pedro Henriquez Urena National Library. Plus, his religious household, Seventh-day Adventists, with a belief system that classified alcohol, tattoos, piercings, and rock music as satanic. All of that inhibited him. Her father told her, if you do something wrong, I would often hear, the devil is going to come for you. So it made me fearful of being curious and asking questions. As he got older, things loosened up for him, and by age 19, Olga wrote that paychecks from his job at a bank allowed him to buy books on UFOs, aliens, the Bermuda Triangle, and he watched local and international news, which is where he first learned about the alien abduction of Freddie Miller, who disappeared in Santo Domingo in 1959 and reappeared in 1973. Olga continued, It was not until his move to America in 1991, however, that my father's curiosity and by extension my own truly took root. Growing up in what I affectionately called the Segura alien household meant family trips to Barnes & Noble to buy books on astronomy, physics, Area 51, and government cover-ups. By 11, I could discuss things like the reptilian conspiracy theory, which alleged that governments around the world were controlled by aliens disguised as humans, as easily as I could discuss Steely Dan, my father's favorite band, and the soundtrack to our reading and talking about outer space. 
Alien pictures my father drew and painted. Aliens with white skin, long arms, black eyes, and a grimace. Creatures with pointed ears and fangs lined the walls of our home. He drew an alien race with long arms and slanted eyebrows titled the Pimalians for my younger sister Pamela, who by age 13 was convinced she would be abducted by extraterrestrials. It was only a matter of when. My dad would become so rapt watching the History Channel's UFO files and ancient aliens that my sister and I weren't allowed to ask him questions until an episode was over. Still, I wondered, how many aliens exist? Where did they live? How did they live? Were they, like me, listening to their fathers talk about life beyond the world that they knew and that they saw? It was during an episode of Ancient Aliens that my father first heard about the Mutual UFO Network, or MUFON, an organization of alien enthusiasts who study alleged UFO sightings. In 2015, he became a member. As a shy man, local chapter meetings never appealed to him. But as a truck driver on the road five to six days a week, whether in Pennsylvania or North Carolina, he connected to a hub of others who shared his unusual theories. It offered him a refuge. MUFON allowed my dad to feel like he belonged, no matter where he was originally from. Then in 2018, Newsweek reported on a wave of resignations within MUFON after John Venture, the state director for the organization's Pennsylvania chapter, one of the largest in the country. He posted on his personal Facebook page that white men in America were being attacked by illegal affirmative action and interracial couples in every show and commercial. <sighs> Disgusting. Despite apologizing the day after his post, Venture resigned as state director. He's quoted as stating, I don't hate anybody. I apologize for what I said. I'm feeling like because I'm a 60-year-old white man, I'm getting totally unfairly attacked here. The fallout continued. MUFON board members and other chapter leaders resigned after learning that MUFON's ties to Jay-Z Knight, an author and New Age teacher who, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center, has made derogatory comments about Mexicans, LGBT, TQ people, Catholics, and Jews. My dad told me it's very disappointing to hear about these people and the organization should be more careful, but I'm not going to move away from a place where I'm able to get access to a world that I love. My father cherished the digital space this organization allotted him, and with my encouragement, was even considering attending local chapter meetings after he retired. But after learning about Venture and Knight, I was worried. I wondered if MUFON was actually not safe, not a sanctuary for a black man like him. So I went to a meeting myself. Windsor Locks, Connecticut is two hours north of New York City and home to just under 13,000 people. The town, according to MUFON, has one of the highest numbers of reported UFO sightings in America. On a Saturday in February, I joined about 70 members, almost entirely white, at a pizzeria to discuss sightings that had occurred nearby. Also, we were to hear a psychic talk about the secret space program called Solar Warden. So this program is supposedly based in Dahlgren, Virginia, and run supposedly by the U.S. Navy, and that they're responsible for monitoring all traffic in our solar system, the psychic told us, and people around the table nodded knowingly. Once the meeting was over, I wanted to talk to some members, many of whom have been attending for years. There was Pat, a woman in her 60s with bright red hair and married to another member, Mike. 
I met Mickey, an intense man who ranted about my iPhone giving me cancers and how aliens were at this very moment all around us. Their technology is so advanced we wouldn't even be able to see them, he said. And there was Jeffrey P. Whittem, who calls himself the Woods Walker, and believes that there is evidence of alien habitation in the forests of Connecticut. Although many were fervent in their attempts to convince me that the government was poisoning Americans through spacecraft, not one of them seemed racist. They all seemed to enjoy gathering and creating a space where they could express their obscure thoughts about life beyond our world. After those initial greetings with members, I eventually worked up the nerve to ask everyone I talked with if they were familiar with Venture and other allegations of racism within MUFON. They all said no. Everyone is welcome here no matter what you look like or believe, Pat said. I left pleasantly surprised by the camaraderie I found. It felt almost spiritual. I wanted to return with my father to introduce him to a space that he has only known digitally, but that proved more welcoming than I expected. On the ride back home to the Bronx, my thoughts about my father had become clear. I guess I've always known that he's brilliant. He can play instruments, write songs, knows a lot about history, excels in math. Aliens are just one of the many facets of who he is. But what if he had arrived in America sooner, before marriage, before kids, and had the resources my sister and I enjoyed? Would he have been an astronomer, written sci-fi, worked for NASA? That night, I told him about the MUFON meeting and the people I'd met. He seemed relieved and happy because there I was, over 50 years after he fell in love with space, enthusiastically rambling about government cover-ups, UFOs, and extraterrestrial life. They've got a sky watch in the spring and I'm invited, I told him. Let's go and look up at the sky together. This article warms my heart. And while it ends on a hopeful note, this episode and that article is not an endorsement of MUFON. Instead, it's an endorsement of tolerance and understanding. And while I no longer associate with that organization, I know some good people within MUFON. And if the organization does not make a change, they might lose some of those good people. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Nomar Slavik.